0: Welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe. I'm a clinical mental health counselor and psychology teacher in Utah, and I want to change the mental health game. The Therapy Thoughts Podcast is all about breaking down therapy related topics and making mental health information easy to understand and super accessible. So, join me for quick and direct educational episodes. And some deeper dives with experts from around the world. Together, we are gonna break down stigma. We're gonna help each other make peace with mind, body, and food. We're gonna make therapy cool and invest time in our mental health. Let's do it here, one therapy thought at a time. What's up, Nia? What's up? (laughs) Welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, We're buddies, so this is
1: funny. Oh, gosh. I mean, yes.
0: Like, how are we just not supposed to sit here and talk about, like, tacos and dolphins and giraffes and stuff?
1: Oh, giraffes. (laughs) Miniature giraffes. Gosh, I love giraffes.
0: Um, I'm super stoked for you to come on and talk about body positivity, eating disorders, living in a marginalized body. Um, you're the queen as far as I'm concerned.
1: Oh gosh. That's a lot of pressure.
0: Let's just load on that pressure real quick. Just real quick. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us, um, tell us a little bit about you. What's your story?
1: Oh gosh. Um, short version, I guess. Um, I just, I work a lot and I work on my mental health. I am in recovery from an eating disorder and I have bipolar, OCD, run down the list, why don't you? Um, And yeah, I blog, I guess, quote unquote, blog slash just create content about my mental health journey. And I also create cute little pins and stickers and stuff on the side so yeah
0: your mental health advocate you make mental health merch which I love and you're open about your journey I mean we met on Instagram right like a couple years ago yeah Um, and that's what always drew me to you is your raw vulnerable sharing of your lived experience living with an eating disorder recovering living with the different mental health conditions you face Um, what made you start sharing this stuff online
1: Oh, gosh. So let's see. It was about 2016. And I sometimes I go through these phases where I'm like, I'm going to work on my trauma today. Like, I'm like, that's what I'm gonna do on Monday. I'm gonna just work through it. And so I got in one of those moods. And I started a blog. And I just started blogging in very graphic detail, just like my trauma and just putting it out there. Um not really wanting anyone to see it, but kind of wanting people to see it. Um, But mainly just like getting it down. And I started my Instagram solely to post little quote graphics to promote my blog. Um, That's why I started my Instagram. It was in no way to have a following, to talk about recovery. Um, It wasn't for any of that. It just sort of evolved into that through being in recovery and going to treatment in 2017 and eating foods that, you know, I put up pictures on Instagram and just kind of gave a quick blurb of what was going on for the last couple hours and what I was eating and it kind of just blossomed from there. Yeah,
0: It's, it's a really big deal. Um, like being in recovery from an eating disorder is so intense, it's this full-time mm-hmm. engaged process, right? And so for, so for people who don't understand, like an eating disorder is a complex clinical mental illness. Yes. It's biological, it's social, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's all these things. And to kind of document your journey, I mean, that's why I just respect that. I think it's so vulnerable and raw because it's, it's intense, right? Yeah. Um, and so even like sharing what you're eating, people need to understand that's actually really, really significant.
1: I just needed someone to hold me accountable, even if it was just like the 30 people who liked my Instagram photo. Like I just needed there to be that accountability that if I posted it, I ate it.
0: Hmm. Accountability, you're tracking your journey, you're, you're tracking recovery, I love that. Tell me about recovering in your body.
1: Yeah. um, I guess. So I, what's the right word? I developed my eating disorder. I don't know what the right word for that is, but it started when I was about nine. Um, And I was a quote unquote normal sized child at the time. Um, And because I was binge eating so much over the next few years, I started gaining lots of weight and um, my family would just kind of make comments about how I shouldn't be eating bad foods or I should eat less of those foods or Mm. those kind of things. Um, But it was never like, why are you doing it? It was just kind of like, she has a problem with overeating. Um, And that just kept spiraling increasing throughout I guess the years and I think the first time that I was sort of like I think I knew something was wrong freshman year in college because I remember doing a summer program at the University of Minnesota that summer after freshman year and I was really into googling eating disorder treatment centers I don't know why, but I Googled this treatment center in Minneapolis and I was like, oh, I just want to go there. But I couldn't because I was doing this summer program. Um, but for some reason, I thought this would be like really good for me. And so I remember asking my grandmother if I could go to this IOP program in Nebraska where we lived. Um, and she was sort of like, we can't afford it, which is true. Um, but she also was just like, what you really need to do is just go to Overeaters Anonymous and then oh you'll be good to go. Um, and I think at that point, I just kind of dropped it because it felt very much like, obviously, I don't have that big of an issue. I just need to stop eating all of this quote unquote bad food and then I'll be good to go. Um, meanwhile, this whole, this whole time, years and years, I'm on a weight loss journey. Um, and then it took me, that was about 20, 11. It took me until 2016 to finally actually get help and understand that like maybe there was a problem. At that point, I still thought that I couldn't really have an eating disorder. I wasn't really sick because I was in a fat body and everything that I saw about eating disorders was in smaller bodies. Um, Mm -hmm. And when I did see people recovering from eating disorders in fat bodies it was always they needed to lose weight they were going to lose weight they i went around telling people that i needed to weight restored down Mm. i don't know i don't know why people let me say that but everyone was like yeah totally um but i went around telling people that and i had this picture in my mind that recovery was going to like be the thing that stuck that would finally make it so that I had a healthy relationship with food, which in my mind meant I would finally lose the weight. Mm. I would finally go down to like a normal weight and it would be all hunky dory and I would no longer be fat and I could eat whatever I wanted. And yeah, that is what I thought it was. And I feel like so much of my eating disorder has just been tripped up in being in a fat body and not knowing where i belonged in that because so many people didn't look like me. Mm. Right.
0: That is so reinforced in the media. That's even reinforced in the eating disorder community until really recently, like Mm -hmm. the recovery community. And I think because of you and a lot of other advocates who are really pushing to identify like, Hey, eating disorders happen in all people, all bodies, all body sizes. Like this is kind of a newer wave of understanding right it really is so you didn't have anyone around you showing you like hey recovery isn't about being
1: at a certain weight at the end of this no no i didn't i think my therapist in treatment i told her that i was stuck on wanting to lose weight or like i needed to lose weight or my body needed to be smaller i think she maybe called me on that but not very well, Um, because I definitely still went on to continue thinking about that, and I think it was also difficult, because I was the only, I was one of two fat people in my treatment center. One of them was a guy, um, but I couldn't stand him. So I just didn't want to like relate to him at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really just kind of considered myself to be the only fat person in my treatment center, because I think he left like within the first week of me being there. So it was really just me and no one else was my size. No one else was going through what I was going through. And I think continuously throughout, maybe not directly in treatment, but after treatment, just this like readily like assumed stance by like therapists and dietitians that like i just had problems binge eating and at that point my problem was very much that i was restricting yes yes yeah there's
0: this assumption that like oh if you have binge eating disorder you must have like a bigger body size right and this is this this is extremely harmful and problematic
1: yes i remember like okay, so admittedly, the therapist that I'm talking about was like problematic on so many different levels. So we have to remember that, but Noted. I, like, <laughs> no like, oh gosh, she was bad. But um, like, I would go in there and I would talk about like, oh, I'm struggling with restricting. And she'd be like, okay, so how are we going to work on the binging? And I'm like, okay, but I'm not binging, I'm restricting. And then like a week later, she would be like, so how's the binging coming? Oh. And I was like, I'm literally not binging (laughs) like i was so frustrated like it was just just assumed that i must be binge eating if my weight was like where it was
0: i am so sorry like that is unethical poor treatment like you you cannot be in the eating disorder field and not hear your client and you got to be challenging that internalized weight stigma Mm -hmm. that is diet culture influencing the clinicians you were restricting and even if you were binging how the hell are we going to stop binging if we're not addressing the restricting right oh i'm so sorry
1: yeah because i remember i went into treatment very much like binge eating multiple times a day um but then restricting for like long periods of time and to like compensate for that and i went into treatment and i kind of just like got like so tied up in like not wanting to binge and not feeling like I needed it as much that I stopped binging and I just started restricting and everyone was always saying like well the pendulum's gonna swing backwards like if you restrict long enough you're gonna binge and I think in my mind I was like okay well then let's challenge that and let's see how long I can restrict for before I start binging Mm -hmm. and The binging never came so i just continued restricting Mm -hmm. and that lasted for a long time and people were still assuming at that time that like i was just binging secretly and not telling anyone but like i'm honestly a very honest person and like if i am like screwing things up like i'm going to tell you that i'm screwing things up
0: yeah So you are complete. not only is there so much shame in like an eating disorder period, Mm -hmm. but you're dealing with like this body judgment, living in a marginalized body, the judgment and expectations around that, the misunderstanding around that on top Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Yeah. This is a different ball game.
1: It is. It is. I always say that like not to invalidate anyone, but like recovering from an eating disorder in a fat body is just like, a whole nother level. Like recovering from an eating disorder is al- already like like an uphill battle, like, I don't know, with like cinder blocks in your backpack. But like, like being fat and on that journey, it's like you're doing it with one leg or something.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important to honor and hold space for. And I love how you said, we're not invalidating anyone else by saying that. Eating disorders suck. But you also have a culture saying, no, but yours isn't real, like you're doing it wrong, like your body's not the right way. Right. That's additional trauma, that's additional impact to have to deal with when your body doesn't fit this supposed cultural ideal, right? Right. So, restriction was what was happening. People assume you're binging, we gotta work on that you're suffering, you're going down the spiral. What, what kind of turned around recovery for you? how do you, what were those steps like?
1: Oh gosh. I mean, I will say that I have always been a stubborn person. And so even when I was like, I don't want to say failing, but struggling, even when I was struggling, I was still trying. Um, and so it wasn't so much like I was just stuck in my eating disorder. It was like, every day I was still trying to, like, eat my meals, even if I missed some, but, like, I was still trying. I think, though, I don't know exactly what, like, clicked. Well, okay, I think what kind of clicked was I moved to Nebraska from California, and I essentially lost my treatment team at that point, um, and I didn't really know what to do, and I was restricting, I was sometimes overeating. It was kind of a mess and I was just kind of like, I can't do this anymore. And I was compulsively watching YouTube videos, um, specifically centered around mini mod. And I decided that I was going to do mini mod even though I couldn't find a ton of information on it, but I knew that other people were doing it. The problem was, once again, my body got in the way because there was no information on doing mini mod in a fat body. And for listeners who don't know what that is, what's mini mod? So mini mod is essentially the idea that you eat above a minimum calorie requirement in order to restore the deficit of calories you've lost in extensive restricting.
0: okay,
1: um, And so you're eating above a certain calorie amount, which seems like a large calorie amount, which if you are in a small body, people are constantly encouraging you to start eating. When you're in a fat body, people aren't encouraging you to start eating. And so I didn't know, I didn't know if I was going to gain a ton of weight and do the wrong thing. And I didn't have anyone to ask. And anyone that I did ask either said, I can't give you that information because I don't know you well enough or said like, I don't really know. Um, And so I just felt really lost. And I just said kind of, well, I'm just gonna try it. If I gain a ton of weight, that's not what I should be focusing on anyways. Um, It's not the end of the world if I gain a ton of weight. So I started eating, I started eating probably enough food for once. And ugh, I think at one point when I was doing that, I saw my weight that threw me off. Um, and, but I was eating more consistently. And so I think that got me into a headspace of it's okay to eat. And I stopped restricting as mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. Um, mini mod didn't last for forever. I think it was like a couple months, but, maybe a few months. Um, but it snapped me out of this place of, I can't eat. I'm going to gain weight. It made it feel like it was okay to gain weight, even though I was in a fat body.
0: Yeah. Eating that food built momentum for eating more food and kind right. of just bridging that gap. I'm, Isn't that the huge leap of faith that so many people have to face? Like,
1: Right. It was just me. so frustrating because I, I was desperately trying to find someone who knew anything about helping me in a fat body. Like, and I just felt so conflicted, so lost because like everyone was giving me different advice. No one was giving me the same consistent advice. Like I like to hear the same thing from at least two people to know that like I'm on the right page and like no one was on my page. No one was like let's just set the record straight here there
0: shouldn't have to be there shouldn't be a hey if you're in a fat body this is the approach if you're in a smaller body here's the approach like ideally yes hey body hey you're
1: in a body here's how we recover i mean that is the ideal situation isn't it (laughs) that's why we have to have this podcast right like you get
0: different treatment you experience stigma and discrimination and you aren't getting best practices or best care I don't really know how to fix that other than these conversations and like training from the ground up. Right.
1: I mean, it's not an overnight change. It's not, it's, it's a very, very long change, which has a lot of structural and systemic changes in there.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad you started eating.
1: I mean, me too. You know, like I was missing out, man. Taco Tuesdays. I was missing out like, yeah. gosh, but yeah, even in treatment, I remember the dietitian. she would tell me like, oh, your weight's trending downwards. This is good. Or like if my weight wasn't trending downwards, which means it was going up, it was like, are you following your meal plan? Um, like what's going on? Um, yeah. Like there was definitely this, like, this like still praising the losing weight thing. And so I couldn't get out of that headspace because people were still enforcing it. And the people who were supposed to be helping me were enforcing it.
0: Yeah. And again, for listeners, like this is problematic. If me and Nia have the exact same like eating disorder lineup and we're in the same center standing side by side, we will receive different treatment, different guidelines, different feedback, even if we have the same severity just Mm -hmm. because our bodies look different. And that is not okay because the disease is a killer. The disease takes people out. It ruins lives and Mm -hmm. body size doesn't determine that severity. Like you and I Mm -hmm. could be exactly in the same place and a dietitian would never tell me like, oh, that's good. You have a downward weight, right? Like it's, this is the problem unequal treatment, the weight stigma, the fat phobia that's even within the eating disorder community. And we are starting to do better. We know organizations like Nita are working really hard to like change the script and, and help us see, but your treatment, how you were treated is not how most folks are treated if their body looks different.
1: And it's so problematic because even like one of my friends, her daughter, we, basically, you know, had her admit that she has an eating disorder in the last few months and she's in a fat body as well. And we wanted her to go to PHP. And I was so terrified to recommend that she go to PHP and, you know, have her go through a situation that I went through or, you know, have people encourage her to lose weight or comment on her weight and, I felt very conflicted because, I mean, I think in the eating disorder field, we know that like treatment is a major step in recovery if you can afford it, but it's also so often very fat phobic and problematic for fat bodies
0: there's a lot of harm caused. And I think with more folks talking openly on like Instagram and Twitter about their lived experience in a larger body and recovery, we're starting to understand like how deep this stigma goes. The fact that the DSM has a diagnosis called atypical anorexia. Oh,
1: (laughs) should we talk about that? The fact is like,
0: oh, oh, you have anorexia, but you don't look anorexic, essentially is what that diagnosis means. Right. you don't have a low enough BMI, and honestly, we need to delete that. It needs to be canceled because it's
1: perpetuating this this stigma, right? It's the most annoying thing ever. It just, oh, it pisses me off so much. Yeah.
0: You don't have to be, yeah, you can have this illness, period, and it doesn't matter who you are, your age, your body size, It's, it's there. Right, right. So you're fighting. You're a badass. Doing this treatment, eating <laughs> food, literally alone, like just trying to eat, um, in a marginalized body. So where are we at now? How's it been? Just
1: like recovery mode. Recovery mode. Um, it has been up, down, and all around. Sometimes, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I, I mean, I definitely am in. Therapy still, I don't see a dietitian right now, although I do stop by and say hi to my dietitian after therapy. But um, I mean, right now, I'm currently working on, well, I'm starting to work on trauma stuff. I'm starting EMDR. Um, and I mean, I'm seeing my therapist who works with eating disorders at the same time. So I'm seeing two therapists because you know just can't get enough therapy um just got to love it um therapy's cool i'm obsessed it's fine um but so she keeps me accountable to what i'm eating whether or not i'm eating etc the other one helps me with the trauma um so that's what i'm kind of going through but i think right now like it's a matter of just trying to figure out what healthy relationship with food looks like and developing that, um, I think, I think I feel like afraid to talk about it sometimes because so much of my recovery right now involves eating fast food and I feel like whenever I talk about that, I get so many trolls in my DMs who are, you know, just horrible um, and making fun of me, which honestly, I'm much better at handling now than I was before, but I mean, it still stings like, and so I don't like saying like, you know, I'm just spending my days eating a lot of fast food because I feel like then people think, well, then she's just like making herself fatter and she can't complain about things. Mm. And that's just so conflicting. So like even into recovery where I am like very comfortable with the word fat, I am very comfortable with, I wouldn't say very comfortable. I'm pretty comfortable with my body. Um, there are still those nagging thoughts and that fear of like what other people will think of me and what other people will judge me as and whether or not my fatness is my quote unquote fault.
0: Mm. It's a very real constant thought to carry. And it it, re- it reminds me of like, I had a, a self revelation about thin privilege one day I was eating something on Instagram like hey I'm eating this and the thought occurred to me I'm like I never get shit ever no one has once said anything to me about what I eat on Instagram and I had that moment where I was like what's that like (laughs) dude yeah like if someone who didn't have my body if I if my thin privilege lets me eat whatever I want or the fact that you can just talk about tacos all day long Right. And I recognize that's thin privilege. I get no shit from anyone ever. People are just like, I love tacos. How many tacos do you eat? And this fat phobic diet culture that again, if we both have an eating disorder, I would be celebrated and you would be criticized Mm -hmm. simply because of a different body size is the problem. And that's thin privilege. The fact that I can eat tacos on Instagram and you get trolls who- attack you and criticize you and shame you for simply existing and eating food mm. is problematic. Mhm. It's hurtful, it's shameful and it keeps people stuck in these diseases and I want to call myself out like that is thin privilege when people get defensive about you know living in a thin body and like oh we have problems too. Right? There's still a lot of privilege there.
1: Right. Right, like it I think people get defensive because they feel like you're saying like you haven't suffered like and that's by all means not what we're saying at all we're just saying sure you may have suffered from an eating disorder you may suffer from mental illness you may suffer from chronic illness but you haven't suffered further because of your body size right
0: people don't care what I eat people do care what you eat and they do it under the guise of health, which is BS.
1: Health is not the goal. I mean, health is a goal, but it's not the be all end all. Like there are so many people who will just never ever be healthy. And we can't just tell them that they are not worthy or they are broken or they are a problem just because they won't ever be healthy because they have a chronic illness or they have a pre-existing condition. Like that's not even our business.
0: Yeah. It's wild when you think about it in that way. Um, I love those memes that kind of float around like, Hey, if you keep trying to tell people in larger bodies, like you're concerned about their health, how come I haven't been called out when all I eat is like alcohol and fruit loops, but at least I'm skinny. Right. Right. You know what I mean? It's that yes. weight stigma, that fat phobia in this like chronic projection of these diet culture ideals we're all part of.
1: Right. Yeah. And I know that like, I occasionally will go through phases where I'm posting more consistently and then I'm not. And usually it's related to someone making comments and I just don't want to deal with it because Mm. when I post constantly, I tend to, you know, have more exposure. People see my content more and that's great. But also then I'm dragging or I'm drawing more people to bring criticism. Like I think one time earlier or later last year when I was like really into meal prepping I was like making breakfast burritos and I was making breakfast burritos like according to a recipe for all bodies and someone was like that's way too much food no wonder you're so fat like I was like oh thank you thank you I mean it's literally a breakfast burrito like it's not the end of the world um but like let me just eat my damn burrito like I don't care what you think is too much for my body because you don't even know my body
0: yeah that resilience of like separating yourself from people's assumptions and judgments of your body especially in recovery i think that that could that could trigger relapse if you're in that vulnerable place right yes yes That must take a lot of self-care and just, yeah, taking breaks when you're feeling like it's triggering and harmful because you staying on the path of like, I know what's best for my body. My body is worthy and lovable exactly as it is. I don't
1: have to starve myself to matter in this world. I am in such a better place now than I used to be, but like still, when someone sends me a message like that, there is always a moment of, well, maybe they're right. Mm -hmm maybe I shouldn't eat that, maybe, uh, maybe, I, I don't know, like, like, it just kind of comes up, and I question it, and I think most times I'm able to just, like, push it aside, but, like, I don't know, what was it, like, last weekend, I, I freaking made pancakes for breakfast, which is an awesome thing, um, and I, like, went to put butter on them, and I was, like, what if the butter kills me, because it's high in fat and I'm fat and fat people die early so like what if this is the end of my life and like liter- these are just like like this these are literally pancakes with butter like it's not the end of the world and I like had to text a friend and be like I need you to tell me that I'm not going to die of fatness if I eat this butter like yeah, yeah. because it's like those words are still in my head even even if no one's like directly messaging me that day they're still in my head
0: yeah. That's active recovery. You hear that and you're conscious of it and you interrupt it and you're like, I no longer listen to this. I'm not going to let this decide.
1: Right. It's that what? moment of like, do I choose not to eat the pancakes? Do I choose to like reach out and get help? And like usually any other day, if I had that thought, I would probably be able to squish it down and just like leave it alone. Um, but not that day, not that, that day I needed support and that's totally okay oh yeah, that's beautiful.
0: Like that's the ride. That's, that's how we keep going. Let's talk about body positivity since you're facing, you know, the trolls and the diet culture and the feedback constantly. Mm. Um, how does that factor into your recovery?
1: Um, that's a good question. I think Originally, it wasn't a factor. And over time, I learned what body positivity was and I learned what it really was, which I think I came across like the idea of body positivity as positive body image and not exactly what it truly is, which is like a social justice movement for the rights of like marginalized people. And I think so many people see body positivity and think this is a chance for me to love my body, which is great by all means. Everybody should love their body, but that's self-love and body acceptance. It's not body positivity. And I think that for me in my recovery, fighting for body positivity for other marginalized bodies is really important because, because like just the ways that fat bodies are mistreated the fact that like even the fact that right now people are saying like if you're in a fat body you're more likely to die from covid like that is a body positivity issue mm-hmm. um and oh it just it just bugs me so much that it has gotten misconstrued and it's no longer a social justice movement. It's a buzzword. It's Mm -hmm. a magazine cover title. It's not the idea of listening to your fat patients as a doctor and not prescribing weight loss when you could um, check their heart. You could check like their pancreas. You could check anything that you would check in someone in a smaller body, but you're choosing to say, I can't deal with this until you lose X amount of pounds. Mm. Like that just isn't okay.
0: When you're saying like, there's nothing wrong with trying to love your body and positive body image and self-love and self-care. Like, yeah, we're all for that. But when the message has been kind of co-opted and hijacked, we hijack the real meaning of body positivity and turn it into this like Mm-hmm. It applies to everyone in self-love. Now this doesn't get attention. And that's a really big problem. Hashtag BOPO is pretty like diluted with a very certain type of person. Yes. Dominating that hashtag. Yes. So that's the problem here. We want to clarify what body positivity is and how it started and its intentions because it needs it needs attention, it needs change. We need this social justice and movement. And when we hijack it and just make it about liking yourself, it gets nothing.
1: Right, right. And I always say, like, like if we're doing watered down BOPO, the only people it's benefiting are people in small bodies. Like, Mm -hmm. that, like, you posting, like, Instagram versus reality photos or you, I don't even, like, posting, like. This is what i look like when i'm laying down versus standing up posing like i know that these can benefit people in small bodies and i'm not saying that maybe that's not the way to recovery from some people but you're only benefiting people in small bodies you are just like disregarding a majority of people who also need support but if you engage in actual body positivity and you are fighting for fat bodies, you're fighting for disabled bodies, you're fighting for bodies of color, the trickle-down effect of that automatically benefits people in smaller bodies as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's no, like, there's no saying like, well, if we only fight for fat bodies, it doesn't benefit me and my smaller body. That directly benefits you. But you only fighting for your small body does not directly benefit me.
0: Yeah, we're none of us are safe if we're not all safe. We're all right. oppressed under this culture. So I love how you're saying like, we have to fight for marginalized bodies and it affects kind of all of us in this ripple. Do you have any ideas on what that specifically looks like?
1: What does body, fighting, like fighting, fighting for marginalized bodies look like?
0: Yeah, like how do we support the actual social justice body positivity movement that developed Well, what the 70s the 60s trying to advocate for marginalized bodies how do we do that today and move away from this kind of misconstrued oh it's just self-love movement how do we really fight
1: for marginalized bodies now i think one major way is just like amplifying the voices of the people who are actually doing the work um instead of just you know making accounts that are doing Instagram versus reality photos, having like 200,000 followers and fat people eating disorder recovery, having 10,000 followers amplifying those voices of people who are marginalized because they're doing the work they're talking about their experiences. They know what that work is and amplifying their voices means that more people hear them. Mm -hmm. Um, So getting their voices out there and just, I guess, diversifying actively um, content, media, um, not having every TV show having the fat best friend who's funny and never goes on a date. Um, Not relegating them to that. Not putting people in damn fat suits. Mm -hmm. Sorry, insatiable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It just there's so many little things on top of like just big like structural changes and I mean one-on-one like advocating for your friends um I think I've got a post way back on my Instagram page about like how can I um advocate for my marginalized friends um but even like like little things like if you don't have fat friends that's a problem first of all but if you do have fat friends and you're going to like a restaurant please don't sit in the booth mm-hmm. like why like why are we choosing to sit in the booth like we don't need to like your friend is going to feel so uncomfortable not fitting in that booth and just just like ask to sit at a table like Mm -hmm. and don't put it on them to make them have to ask like Mm -hmm. how awesome would it be to have your friend stand up for you and like you know make a step ahead of you having to advocate for yourself and like having your friend show that they care about you like Mm that's awesome that's good friendship right there so yeah
0: I love these action items and just another reminder of like if you exist in a thin body you never think about that right you're just gonna sit in the booth yeah and it takes this active intentional work whether we're you know at this time in history saying like we are actively working on anti-racism you put it at your forefront you put it at the front of your mind and you like make policies and change things in your office we have to do the same thing with diet culture and fighting for marginalized
1: bodies like Mm -hmm. let's change the chairs in our office space get rid Gosh, of the arms honestly. i hate the arms like i oh i can't even tell you how much i hate the arms like and i mean like um at my physical therapy office there's like three chairs that don't have arms and it is always the people in small bodies who sit in those chairs it is always them um and so then i'm literally squeezing myself into a chair where i'm bruising my legs mm-hmm And it hurts so bad just and like, then of course, because of the shame of being fat in society, you don't want to complain, you don't want to, you know, act like you're in pain. You don't want to show that like you're uncomfortable. You don't want to stand in the corner. So you just sit in that chair and you suffer. Yeah.
0: It's wild that this is so ingrained. It's like the form of discrimination or shame that we're not questioning at all. Right. We still would blame someone instead of being like, of course, let's accommodate you. Like, let's, let's create ways that's safe for
1: all people. Well, but not these people because of the
0: body type. Because it's it's
1: their fault. Yeah. That's a, that's what people, it's constantly, it's their fault that they're fat. They should eat less. They should eat more vegetables. Like, even if I was going to lose all the weight, it's not going to happen tomorrow. Like, I still need to be accommodated in the meantime like it just it just upsets me so much that people just like think that like it's not even worth their concern
0: yeah so i love these action steps of like fighting for marginalized bodies if we believe in equality we can't just pick and choose right, right. Like we everyone deserves respect you are loving you are lovable and worthy right now and society having some common effing decency for people regardless of their body size it's wild to me that this has to be discussed but we right we're so drenched in diet culture it's centuries of just Mm -hmm. being hammered so i love these ideas something else i want to add is um we both are in the merch world creating things another way to to advocate is thinking about size Mm -hmm. Uh, right like what size clothing can we carry and how much does it cost extra to carry
1: those because of that's the problem right that's the problem no one and i mean i get it like it's expensive to add in extra sizes and then of course if you're going to add in a more expensive 5x 6x then and you want to make it the same price you're losing your cut on it um and you're essentially maybe giving the shirt away for free um but I guess it depends on like what is more important to you. Um, Where do do your values come in? Because if you you have readily access to like all your sizes, you just don't have to think about it. Like it doesn't actually concern you. It's just kind of like, well, why don't you just shop somewhere else? Um, Like we fat people would like cute stuff too. Thank you very much. (laughs) We would like cute stuff too. So please and if we
0: all do it we can change the system like 4x needs to be standard sizing that's available right
1: well see the thing is like people will put out like a 2x 3x sometimes 4x sometimes 5x and say we have inclusive sizing um the problem is you're saying it's inclusive for me Mm. you're not saying it's inclusive for everyone you're saying Mm it's inclusive for me. And I mean this not in terms just of smaller bodied people, but like if fat people are like, oh my gosh, like they have this in 4X, this is so inclusive. What about the person who's two sizes bigger than you that doesn't fit in those clothes? Mm -hmm. It's not inclusive. Like Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think the only way to have inclusive sizing is to literally just make custom clothes. And that Mm is not feasible for a lot of people. Um, Mm -hmm. And I understand that. I think a lot of fat people understand that. I think it's a bummer, but I think it's understandable. But doing the best you can to offer as many sizes as you can is really important.
0: It's on our radar. And I think, you know, when it's a small business, one person gig, and this is on our mind, we need to be challenging the bigger corporations out there who can afford to literally make any size or even custom clothing, like this conversation just needs to be more widespread that Mm -hmm. everybody deserves respect. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Everybody, every person, every size is deserving of dignity and existing without constant oppression and discrimination.
1: Right, yeah.
0: Thanks for leading that charge, sis. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) (laughs) So hashtag BOPO is not what it should be. Let's change that.
1: Oh gosh. Oh gosh. Yeah. Just scroll through hashtag Bopo and tell me what you see, you know? Yeah. I know it's, what you're not going to see. Yeah.
0: It's, it's great. We love self-love, but yeah, it's really, I think it's great. To we understand. love
1: self-love. We love it. Self-love is great. People we- should be loving their body. Like I would like everyone to love their damn body. Like that is amazing. Like, but we're not going to get there if people are still sending people the pig emoji yeah i got that one like a week ago it was real nice i was really excited about that i just i'm a big fan of the block button now i'm a big fan of the block button protect
0: yourself i love those boundaries just block them all those haters let's make the new hashtag i'm working on body love but this isn't (laughs) BoPo because that's actually a social justice movement
1: the longest hashtag that's the hashtag (laughs) (laughs) um thank you so much
0: for sharing this story i love these action items of how to fight for marginalized bodies and to understand body positivity and especially for sharing your personal ed journey i know that that's vulnerable and hard especially with you know the nuance of living in your body Mm -hmm. um any last thoughts or Tips or uh jokes for the people listening.
1: <laughs> oh gosh. Jokes? I didn't know I had to have a joke. I didn't I don't know why I said that. Sorry. No jokes, just like
0: final thoughts.
1: <laughs> it was like a joke. Let me think of I haven't told a joke in year Oh my gosh. No, um, let's see. What what else? I don't know. Um I don't know. I don't know if I have anything else.
0: Why do you love giraffes so much?
1: Oh, they're just so dapper. They're so dapper. Then they got their long necks and they're so cute and their tongues. Oh my God. One time I fed a giraffe and it was the best moment of my life. Like it was amazing. Like it licked my hand and I, I think I would have cried. But I was, like, trying to keep it together because I was, like, helping these two, like, little, um like, four-year-olds? They were four or five. Like, we were supposed to be feeding the giraffes to get... Okay, really, they were supposed to be feeding the giraffes, to be clear, but they were not doing a good job. And it was my moment to feed a giraffe, so (laughs) I had to step up and do it for them. Really, that's what happened.
0: If someone listening to this podcast is an artist go ahead and make a piece for nia her and a giraffe it's a moment oh my
1: gosh i have (laughs) like my big sister through the big brothers big sister program when i was like nine she's like a well known artist like she's like an amazing artist but she does like mechanical stuff and i have been bugging her for years to make me a giraffe painting so
0: calling all artists just we're working on it
1: we're working on it
0: this is our podcast. This is what's happening. We're just friends talking about weird stuff at this point.
1: Oh my gosh. Giraffes. Giraffes.
0: Um, okay, so give folks the scoop. Where can they find you? Where the can they buy your merch? Where are you at?
1: You can find me on the Instagram. Um at the friend I never wanted. That is my main recovery account. You can also find my podcast at Body Trauma Pod. You can also find my merch slash business at self-love tool chest all on instagram um you can literally look up any of those with like a dot com at the end and it'll take you to a website so check all of that out basically
0: um nia does endless emotional labor with personal impact haters and trolls slide in so i want to encourage everyone to support her in her work and efforts shoot her some Venmo. Like she is changing the game. She has taught me so much. She shares so effortlessly. What's your Venmo so people can offer, um, just supporting you in the work that you do.
1: It is just at Nia Patterson, N-I-A-P-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N.
0: I I think we got to get used to supporting people who do the work for us right? We didn't have, we didn't go out and Google body positivity and how did that start? And how do I support folks in marginalized body? Nia Tata. So I am so grateful for your labor and the work that you put in and really appreciate you.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Come party with her on IG. It's a good time. She just had a huge (laughs) guest on her podcast. I'll let you go find out who that was. No big deal. No big deal. No big deal. It's It's fine. Cliffhanger. It's fine. (laughs) Okay, my friend, thanks for everything and everyone listening, may you be well.